We're going to talk about the church's family today, so I want to begin by telling you about Carl and Inez. Now, Carl and Inez have been married 63 years. They'd been part of the same church for almost as many years. They had been part of the same community, lived in the same house. They'd, they'd, uh, they pretty much spent their whole lives in this community and, and uh, were real stalwarts in the community. People recognized them wherever they went. You know, Carl had served on various boards within the church and and Inez had been a part of different clubs and committees around the community. Carl had worked for the same company building cabinets for 40 years before he retired. And, and uh, he was seen from time to time at the bowling alley or the golf course. And, you know, a pretty normal couple in most respects. And uh, they had reached a point in their lives together that every couple will reach. If God blesses them so, they'd reached a point where they were growing old together and Carl was near death and uh, Carl was laying in his bed in that same bed that he and his wife had shared for five decades or more and they they were all gathered around him as he lay there breathing shallowly and nearly gone and uh, Inez was there their five daughters were there the pastor was there a couple of the elders from the church were there and uh, all were sitting around and 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 uh, the room was full of the aroma of one of Inez's famous apple pies that she could make with such precision and perfection and the strangest thing happened because Carl opened his eyes and he took a deep breath and then he said is that one of your apple pies, Inez? And she said, yes, honey, it is. And he said, before I die, could I have just one more piece of your apple pie? And she said, no, Carl, you can't. That's for your funeral dinner. <laughs> now that's family. <laughs> that's family, you know. Uh, it's, it's full of love and tenderness and then weird, quirky moments like that. And so when we talk about the church's family, we can agree then that it's full of tender, loving moments and then other weird, quirky moments. So let's, uh, let's read the story today that kind of tells us how it is that we are the church and the family of God. So let's read Acts now. Chapter 17, starting at verse 22. Now, Paul has, since last week's reading, he's been through a complete conversion and makeover experience, and now he's a believer, and he's starting to go out and, and communicate the gospel to other peoples, and he finds himself in Greece here in Athens, of all places. And Paul stands up to speak at a meeting at the Areopagus, and he says, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, and they should inhabit that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he shall judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, one of the most uh, well-known sayings of all time comes from the work of Shakespeare, Hamlet, who says as he's contemplating suicide of all things, to be or not to be, that is the question. Now, most people have heard that and they don't even know where they've heard it from. But this question he asks states something that we all deal with in our lives and I wonder if we're even conscious of it most of the time in fact conscious is an interesting choice of words because it is this sense of being that I'm talking about he doesn't say to live or die or whether this flesh should continue on or not he says to be or not to be there is a sense that there's more to the person than the flesh and Rene Descartes the French uh philosopher basically summed it up in his statement, I think, therefore I am. And the idea behind this is what we call being. Our sense of being is, is what we, we look at when we look in the mirror. We see our flesh, but we also see ourselves. We see ourselves. We see something inside as well as something outside. We recognize that there is our flesh and there is our being. And so when we look in the mirror, we are contemplating both, aren't we? Now, we can become overly focused on the flesh, and we often do, so that we see the size and shape and the condition of the flesh. But what really matters is what you see in that person. And I know from, from uh, personal experience and from, from other people's journeys, you know, sometimes we don't like what we see in the mirror, and it isn't the flesh we're talking about. It's the being there. And so this whole idea of being is important because Paul says something that I consider one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible. He says it is in him, God, that we live and move and have our being. That is to say that that being, that person that you perceive as yourself, that person you are that is more than the substance of your flesh is in a way that is unique in all of existence, is connected with God. That It is in God that we live and move and have our being. And that is an incredibly significant statement because what it means is, is that our being coexists with God's being and therefore is not limited to the flesh. To put it another way, it means that when this body dies, the spirit lives on. It means that who we are is more substantive than what we are because of God, because we have a connection through Christ with God. This is the unique nature of Christianity, what I would call spiritual DNA. And the Apostle Paul makes this marvelous argument in the seat of the highest 
most highfalutin intellectual and philosophical people of his day. He's actually doing a little better job of rhetoric than they do. And he just says to them, if you need a God or a monument to an unknown God, then obviously there is something lacking in the other gods. He's, he's just kind of recognizing that, that they don't get comfort from these gods in any particular way as much as they could if they had their being tied intimately with that being of God. So what are we really talking about? It's DNA. Now, you've seen those commercials on TV, right? Where you can order a kit, spit in a cup, and then they'll send you the results of your DNA tests and tell you from whom you come. They'll show you the predecessors of your bloodline, of your DNA. They'll, they'll tell you whether you're Irish like you thought you were or something else. You've seen the commercials. And I think that's really cool. I really do. I, in fact, I encourage people to do it because it gives your life meaning. I haven't done it, but I'm just saying, I mean, if it, if it will mean something to you, if it gives you some sense of connection, you know, with your past, then by all means do it. But Here's, here's something I can do. I don't know how much that costs. Does anybody know how much those cost? I've never priced it. I, I figure it's probably about 50 or $60. Maybe 100 bucks. They're $90. $90, okay. So anyway, I could save you anywhere from 90 to $200. Because I can tell you what your spiritual DNA is right now. You descended from Jesus if you've become a born-again believer. And you don't have to spit in a cup and you don't have to give me any money, but do put something in the offering plate. (laughs) You see, ancestry DNA tests are really great at helping people have a sense of belonging. And they are really great at giving you uh, a sense of connection with your past. And and I think it's really neat because it gives people a way to understand, you know, what tribe they're from, so to speak. And some people, it's really exciting for them because they get to see a, a sort of cultural connection that they might even embrace. You know, uh, uh, I've said before, you know, I'm descended on both sides of my family, my parents' families. I'm descended pretty much 100% from Germans. And, uh, you know, if I took this test, it might inspire me to start drinking a lot more beer and learn how to polka. But I'm not really inspired to do that, okay? I feel as though I am content with who I am. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do this. But what I find interesting is, is that this new trend, this new business line has emerged because people are hungry for connection. They want to know who they are and where they come from. They need a sense of belonging, and they need a sense of connection, and they're not rooted in anything, and they want some sort of root that they can cling to. And again, I come back to this saying from the Apostle Paul, it is in him, God, that we have our being, and we live and breathe. You know, it's our existence is utterly incorporated into the very being of God. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus gives you this opportunity to have your internal workings completely reworked. That is, to have your DNA rewritten. Now, 
experts on DNA can see how making just the slightest change to sequences and things could uh, someday give us the ability to, to uh, prevent children from being born with MS or with spina bifida. And that sounds pretty good, but it could also be used as a way to make sure that all your children have blue eyes and blonde hair, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. No offense to the blue-eyed, blonde-haired people, but it kind of harkens back to something really awful that happened about 60 or 70 years ago. So my point is, is that, that you know, we have the science and the technology to begin to understand how the world and its substances are created. But what we're talking about is something spiritual. Now, I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again this week because I really think it's important for us to understand the difference between uh, material things and spiritual things. Material things can be measured and weighed and they can be quantified in one way or another, but spiritual things are just as real, but they're not so quantifiable. Now, of course, that could be something that refers to our religious life, our prayer life, our Christianity, our Judaism, or whatever. But it also really applies to a lot of other things as well that aren't particularly religious. There are things that have substance and value but are not quantifiable, like a song, for example. They have great value. I told Paul this morning that all week I've been waking up and hearing our praise team singing our songs in my head. And what a nice thing that is. It just... It's like, that's not a bad thing. You know, if you, get, if you get here every week and this happens every week, then pretty soon you've got quite a little repertoire stored up in your memory banks. And what a great way to celebrate your day, just to hear the praise team. Paul and the Praiseettes and the County Road 400 Band, all up here in my head. And I didn't have to download it or pay 99 cents a hit or anything. It's just there. These are spiritual things. They have value, they have a kind of substance, but they can't be quantified or measured in some way. And that's what it is to be a part of the family of God. See, when you're part of a natural family, you can point to the people around you, probably in the pews with you, and you can say, well, there's my mother, there's my father, there's my brother, there's my sister, there's my children. And with DNA tests, you can prove that you are all related to each other physically. And so, naturally, you are connected with certain people. And, of course, we all know that in some families, even though there's a natural physical connection, there's really no emotional, spiritual connection, so that some people don't even know who their parents are. They have no particular connection with their family. So what is family? And what is it in the life of the church? It all comes back to this statement that Paul made. It is in him we live and move and have our being. You see, when you accept that Christ has taken upon himself the penalty for your sin, and remember, sin is really easy to understand. It means having a bad attitude towards God. Now, you could talk about stuff. You could talk about things you do or don't do and call them sins. But in a nutshell, sin is about having the wrong attitude towards God. And it starts with what we call the sin of Adam. And it really just means that we've got a bad attitude towards God and we don't even know it. We don't even know how bad our attitude is toward God. 
So when we come into a place in our lives and we begin to realize that we have a bad attitude towards God, the spirit of conviction is coming on us. It's starting to work us a little bit. We're starting to realize that we've never really given God the respect that God is due. We've never really trusted God in the way that we should. And, and uh, it's easy for us to forget about God and disrespect God. And in that way, we're sinners. And of course, some sins will be born out of that to where they look like really bad things. People doing stuff that they shouldn't do and and hurting people and stuff like that. These are all things that God wouldn't approve of, so it can all stem from a lack of respect for God. But everybody can admit that they have a bad attitude towards God until Christ covers that. He literally throws a blanket over your sin so God can't see it anymore. And then you're able to be in the presence of God. You're able to be a part of God's family. And so in that way, you're then born again. So when you accept that Christ has covered your sin for you, then you invite the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to come into you. And that's when the software gets rewritten. That's where the hardware stays the same, but the software changes, where the DNA is rewritten. So that... You are now part of the family of God that is in him we live and move and have our being. That makes us a family because obviously that makes us brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of God. Now, I like this idea of the church's family if that's what it means. But what I've learned over the years is that many churches have a very family sort of feel about them. But the problem with that is is that families can be very exclusive. Some people marry into a family but never really feel the love of that family to the extent that they feel like they've become a, a grafted in member of the family. And so I know people that will feel um, that they have the love of their spouse but they don't feel that they have the love of their spouse's parents and siblings let's say and that's how families can be kind of exclusive they can treat outsiders like they're just not in on all the little intricacies that make us a unique family organization and in that way churches have been troublesome because a lot of churches get that way It creeps in real subtly, but it becomes a real problem. And to some extent, I've even embraced some of the teaching that is popular in uh, the church growth movements and so forth, where they say that it's better not to refer to the family, uh, church as family, but to refer to it as a community, because that name family is too exclusive. It it makes people who don't feel connected. If you've got a first-time attender here or someone who's only been around for a little while, then there's this sense that they're not connected And therefore, they're not part of the family. And if we talk too much about family, it's somehow exclusive. But I tinkered around with that for a while. Some of you might even remember, I I tried to say, let's just talk about it like it's community. But what happened over time was I began to realize that the words we use create subtle changes in us and in our relationships. Words matter. They're spiritual they're not substantive and measurable in the same way that stuff is, but they are spiritually significant. And what happens is, is if we use a certain kind of term over and over again, it begins to change how we feel about certain things and certain people. So I've come back around to the idea that I, I'd rather we were a family of faith. But there's a problem with that terminology. 
it still opens the door to that exclusivity that we don't want in the church. See, I love as a pastor that I fall in love with this church family as soon as I meet them. You know, one day I'll be in a new church and I'll stand in front of them. And the first thing that will happen to me is I'll look out over all these faces and I'll say, God has given me this flock to care for. These are God's people and I love them because God loves them. You know, and, and so there's this sense of responsibility for you that, that feels like love. But then over time, I get to know you, and I'm not just in love with the fact that you're God's children. I'm in love with your story. I get to know you. I get to know who you are, and I love that. I, I feel as a pastor that I have church moms and church dads and church brothers and sisters, and, and uh, some of you are that ornery cousin, you know. That, but, but it feels like a family, and I think we all have that sense But there's a danger of exclusivity that hurts. But I know what the cure is. I've given this a lot of thought, and here's the cure for the church family being too exclusive. Make babies. Any volunteers? No? Well, wait a minute. Maybe if I re-explain myself, you might volunteer after all. Some of you are done making babies. I get it. Well, there is the old-fashioned way of making babies, and we'll always welcome those into our midst. We had a baptism at the first service. It was great, great fun. But uh, what I'm really talking about is baby Christians. Because we are talking about the family of God now. That spiritual DNA is what we're talking about. We want to grow the family of God by reproducing baby Christians. And that we can do even if we're very, very old or very, very young. We can invite people to church. We can invite them into a relationship with Christ. We can invite them to hear what we know about our Savior. And that you can do every day. Now, it's pretty plain in our mission statement, being disciples, seeking disciples. And it changes the world. And I know change the world sounds like we're talking about something global, but what we're saying is is change the world where you can. And so the question is then, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you should be seeking disciples. How's that going for you? Keep in mind that discipleship is equal parts grace and discipline. To become a Christian... You receive God's grace, which makes you a disciple of Jesus Christ. But the word disciple means that you're someone who follows the disciplines of the master. So when you choose to become a Christian, you're accepting the grace that comes through Christ, but you are also accepting the leadership of Christ, which means you live according to his disciplines, which is what it means to be a disciple. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ then you obey him. And like I said, in Christianity, discipleship means grace and discipline. So in families, there is grace and discipline. In your family, you have equal parts, I'm sure, I hope anyway, of grace and discipline. It means sometimes you use discipline. Sometimes there is grace. But there is always love. Because love is both discipline and grace. Because love does both. Because in families, we don't give up on each other. In fact, we're grieved when someone separates from the family. 
It's just like a death. We've lost someone we love and it feels like death, even if they're just separated because of a disagreement, because the grace and the discipline have gotten mismatched somehow. In families, there are authorities. There are different levels of authority, right? There are parents and there are children and there are elder children and younger children. There are people with different levels of expectation and therefore the authority to fulfill those expectations. Well, in the family of God, it's the same way. We have different expectations from different people and we subject ourselves to the discipline and grace of certain people even as we exercise discipline and grace in other people's lives. So the family of God is like that. And here's what's really neat about families that I want you to hear, is families are not just the product of physical connection, are they? You know how families form. There's the old-fashioned way, man and woman fall in love, get married, make babies. It's great. I recommend it. However, families sometimes form because of divorce and mixed families that blend children together from different families and they form another kind of family. Families are formed because of adoption. Families are formed in foster homes where they're a family for a season and then it changes. And there are families that are formed in in, uh, orphanages and uh, AA meetings. And, uh, you know, family forms wherever there's a common DNA, even if it's a spiritual DNA, right? They form because there's this common bond that we're all connected to. And then these relationships just naturally emerge, don't they? Some people are leaders and some people are followers. Some people's are, are, are people are cooks and some people are fixers and repairers. And, and some people are counselors and you get, a, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Well, that's what we're talking about here. It's not exclusive. There's always room for one more. This is, this is the kind of family that can grow every day, every hour, And the question is, why aren't we inviting people to be part of the family? And why aren't we more grace-filled and disciplined in our family? Bill Gloria Gaither wrote a song several years ago that I like a lot, a hymn really, called The Family of God. And... The words go like this, I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I am a part of the family of God. You will notice we say brother and sister around here, it's because we're a family and these are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I am a part of the family of God. There's room for one more, isn't there? There's always room for one more. There's there's a never-ending availability. Let me tell you something. We had the preschool graduation last Wednesday night. Those are really fun. 
But I kid you not, an hour before the ceremony started, there were people lined up at the door waiting to get in. Now, this is your church I'm talking about. This place right here where you're sitting. People were lined up at the door. And when we finally opened the doors, they rushed in so they could get the best seats up here in the front where you can really see what's going on. And then they filled the place from front to back until there was standing room only. And it happens every year at our preschool graduation. And every year I just want to laugh and cry all at the same time because it doesn't happen on Sunday morning, does it? You know, when I was a little kid and we go to church, the ushers, not, they didn't just take up the offering, they also would help you find a seat because it was always crowded and from the back it's hard to tell where there's an empty seat. And so they would walk down the aisle and they'd look for empty seats and they'd, they'd make Tony scoot over a little bit and they'd say, three right here, you can sit right here. What happened? Well, people are finding more worth and meaning from a DNA test that they can submit and find out who they're connected to. They're finding more worth. This is what Laura and I found out when we were on our little hiatus in October. We, first Sunday we had off. I hadn't, I hadn't missed a Sunday in decades. And we thought we'd go out for breakfast. I found out where everybody is. I've never had to wait for a table at any restaurant I've ever been to in Muncie except on Sunday morning. Because people gather with their families around a meal called Sunday breakfast. And they don't know that they can gather with their family of faith around the word of God and the sacraments and be fed here. And the only way that's going to change is if we start telling them that we're glad to be part of the family of God and we wish they were too. Stop trying to sell people church and bring them to Jesus and see what happens. Some people probably like the song by Sister Sledge called We Are Family better than a Gaither song. I don't care which one you use. But I would invite you to remember whenever we're at loggerheads with each other here in the life of the church that we're the family of God and I would like you to remember when there are people out there in your world who are hungry and hurting and they need connection that there's a family of God that they can be a part of amen Amen. let us pray thank you Lord for your word please burn it into our hearts and make it change us forever because we love you and we're glad to be a part of the family of God and we want to make room for more Amen.